Well, as we uh, go into our teaching time this morning, I want to ask you a question, and that is, how many friends do you have? How many friends do you have? Now, for most people, this probably takes your mind in a particular direction to your online world, right? Because when someone asks you how many friends do you have, it might be that they're actually talking about Facebook. And I have to confess to you, Facebook, I think, has single-handedly ruined the word friend for me, personally. Because, let me tell you why. First, on Facebook, you have to find your friends, right? So when you first, if not, they'll be suggested for you by random people who Facebook thinks that you actually know and might suggest them for you. So then you have to actually, when you go on to Facebook, send them a friend request, right? Because you know you're not really friends with someone until they accept a friend request that you've sent to them on Facebook. And then after they accept the friend request or you accept their friend request, then you have to manage them. You have to categorize them. Categories, close friend, acquaintance, oh, they're on the bubble. How should I do that for them? And then there's keeping on top of all of the news from your friends in your news feed and direct messages. I mean, you're not really a friend if you don't know what your neighbor's friend's cousin just ate for breakfast and shared it with everyone. And I mean, what kind of a friend are you if you don't immediately like, comment, or forward or share something that your friends posted on Facebook immediately? Then, of course, there's the undelicate task of unfriending someone on Facebook, right? In 2010, uh, comedian Jimmy Kimmel actually helped us with all of this and proclaimed November 17th as National Unfriend Day. This is the day when you go through and you lose some of the folks on your bloated buddy list and you just say, I'm done. I don't actually know who this person is anyways or why they're my friend on Facebook. So, you know, if I'm honest, it's maybe not Facebook per se that I have a problem with. It's simply their use of the term friend to describe everything that happens in Facebook world. Because there's one definition, one category of meaning in Facebook land. On Facebook, you're either inside the circle of friends or you are outside the circle of friends. That's how it works on Facebook which is probably why they invented Google+. But in the offline world, also known as the real world, things are a lot more hmm, complicated than that, aren't they? They're multifaceted when it comes to friendships. Sociologists tell us that we actually have multiple layers or types of encounters with people. And they label those based on how strong they are and also based on how long they might potentially last in terms of influence and duration. So sociologists tell us that we have at least three types of quote-unquote friends. Uh, temporary ties is one label they give to people that they're kind of friends. You're going to see them for a short period of time. Maybe you meet them uh, once a year at your kid's dance recital or at a wedding or maybe you holidayed with them once a long time ago and you've totally forgotten about them and you don't see them again until, of course, they send you a friend request on Facebook. These are weak ties, people who you don't see. Weak ties are, are people that you see maybe more frequently, but they're not intimately connected to your life in meaningful, shaping kinds of ways. You might know them from a particular avenue of your life. They might be maybe business-oriented or hobby-affiliated, or you went to a particular school, and so you know them from either that duration or your kid's school or wherever they go. 
But strong ties are different. Strong ties is that more inner circle kind of people. Friends who are going to stick with you through whatever life throws at you. And friends that are going to actually help you grow into the person that God wants you to be. And I'm going to suggest to you this morning that friends and the health and depth of your friendships, that there's a direct correlation between the health and depth of your friendships and the health and depth of your spiritual life. We're talking this spring in our series about taking a stand against unintentionality. We want to grow in being intentional in areas of our life here at Jericho Ridge. So we're exploring areas of our life that where drift can easily set in and we can find ourselves off course or off plan or on autopilot or feeling robotic about things. And unfortunately, friendship is one of those areas. Without intentionality, friendships can't begin. Without intentionality, friendships can't actually grow and be nourished or flourish. So today we're going to talk about a couple of ingredients that the Bible presents to us about being present in healthy friendship relationships. Relationships uh, that are God-honoring friendships or spiritual friendships. Because when the Bible speaks about friendship, it's not really using the language of Facebook. In fact, the Bible suggests to us a unique type of element that's present in friendships that can actually help us navigate life together and help us grow. The Bible uses language uh, and then it's repeated and picked up from contemplative writers, particularly those in the 12th century and monastic writers that have taken to using a word called spiritual friendship. And spiritual friendship, what they mean by this is that our friendships and our spiritual journeys are interrelated and they assist each other. As one grows, the other has the potential and capacity to grow as well. Henry Nouwen, a Catholic priest and writer, says it this way, friendship has always belonged to the core of my spiritual journey. Friendship has always belonged to the core of my spiritual journey. And that's because you and I need friendships. We are designed that way by God. If you go right back to the very start of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, you see God creation, God's work of creation. And after he creates everything, he declares that it's good. God creates Adam, the first human, and he creates all of the animals. And then God says, it is not good. First thing he says is not good. It is not good for Adam to be alone in Genesis 1. Think with me about the implications of that statement for a minute. Everything in the world that God has created, sin has not yet entered the world through the choices of humanity. Everything is perfect still, but God says it's perfect, but something is not good. And what's not good is aloneness. What's not good is that Adam has not capacity to experience relationships. Adam is lonely not because he was imperfect. Tim Keller in his reflections on this text remarks that the longing for friendship is actually the only longing that predates the existence of sin in the world. All other longings have been in some way corrupted 
by the existence of sin. But that one, that it's not good for us to be alone, is something that was present before anything went off course. And so there's something in the way that God has created us or wired or designed us to need friendships that's good. It is not good for us to be alone. The fact that you and I need friendships is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of health. But what kind of friendships do we need? What elements do we need to be present in those relationships for our health? More precisely, what do we need in order to fulfill and understand that mandate that God has given us to be rightly oriented in relationship with both God and with other people. So as we're gonna go through a couple of different texts and explore a little bit of a picture that the Bible paints for us about friendship and what that means and what the Bible says about friendship. And as we do that, I want you to think about and look at your own friendships and ask yourself, are these things present and to what degree are they present in my current relationships that I have with people around me? Are there areas that you need to grow in your level of intentionality and investment in order to become a healthy, well-integrated person who loves God and who loves other people well? So I'm gonna divide the ingredients up into four different ingredients and they're in two categories. So the first one, the basic composition of spiritual friendship is that spiritual friendship involves sharing. It involves sharing. What things do we share? Well, friendships that take us deeper into the heart of God, friendships that take us deeper on a journey with others, begin when we share our time. This is Friendship 101. You cannot be a good friend with someone that you don't spend any time with whatsoever. You can't have a bond with people whom you never see and you never invest in in any way. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul talks about his friendship relationships with the people in the city of Thessalonica. And he says it this way, we loved you so much, we shared with you not only God's good news, but we shared our lives with you as well, our own lives. We invested in you, not just with the gospel, but we invested our time, we invested our friendship, and our relationships with you grew as a result of that. Sharing our time. Now this is a challenge for us in our fast-paced, ever-mobile, busy culture here in suburbia. We get up early, we come home late, we're busy, busy, busy all day long, driving here, driving there, investing our energy, taking kids here and there, our best and highest energies and all kinds of things, and then we collapse in exhaustion on the weekends so we can recover just in time to get up and do it all over again. We skip church on Sunday mornings because we think, I just need some time to myself to kind of clear my head and figure this whole business out. I need family time. I need personal time. Some of you are so busy with your calendar that even though you would tell people otherwise, you don't actually have any time for meaningful relationships. If someone says, let's get together, you say, how's four weeks from next Tuesday? Paul says here in 1 Thessalonians and models for us, if you love someone well, you don't just share information with them, you actually share your calendar with them. You share your time with them. You cannot grow a friendship and share if you're not willing to share your time with others. You share your life. And see, here's the challenge. I talk with some of you and I hear you talk about how you want deeper friendships with other people. 
And you're surprised that people here at Jericho Ridge don't know your names after you've been attending for a long time. And they don't seem to care about what's going on in your life. And the first question that I ask you is often is, does your life look like that of a person who wants to have friends? And oftentimes the answer is surprisingly no. Your life actually, you will say that you want to have friends, but your life is not organized in such a way that you actually could have meaningful, engaging relationships with people. Because friendship cannot be made out of nothing. And the basic building block of friendship is actually time. The raw materials, sharing your time and your life with people around you. It's the first ingredient of healthy friendships. And so as you come into the summer months, this is a good time to assess this and figure out how am I doing at sharing with people around me. Assess your calendar. Ask, what kind of room have I made in my life for healthy relationships? Maybe you need to start really small. Maybe you need to, on the 14th, mark out two hours on a Saturday evening and come to her table or come to meet and meet. We're developing strategies to help you start there and begin to develop and get to know people over time so that as you begin to continue to invest time, FaceTime with each other, that you might develop some friendships that come out of that. Maybe for you, you need to just clear your calendar after a morning gathering and just see if you can find somebody that you want to develop a deeper friendship with and just say, could I take you out for lunch on a Sunday? And just spend some, a little bit more time. Or now that the weather's getting nicer, a lot after we pick up our kids, a lot of people just head out and hang out down by the park. And as the kids are playing, that might be a time when you actually want to strike up a conversation with somebody and just begin to ask them a little bit about their life and about their experiences. Strike up a conversation just while your kids are playing at the park because if we don't actually share our time actively with each other in the life of a community like Jericho Ridge, we're not gonna get any further down the road in terms of spiritual friendship. And none of the other things that we talked about at ministry night last weekend are gonna happen in terms of what we feel like God has for us as a church. Because the basic raw elements, the building block of investing our time with each other is not present. So the second ingredient also involves sharing. Friends who wanna go deeper and grow deeper share not only their time, but they share their lives, they share their feelings with each other. Look at the life of Jesus. As he moves into his earthly ministry, he actually has a very Google Plus oriented kind of way that he organizes his life. It's not just one big friendship circle. He has the crowds of people that he's engaging with ministry to, but what does he do? Out of the crowds, he actually selects 12, prayerfully discerns, these are 12 people that I'm gonna really invest my life in. And then even of the 12, there's three that are closer to Jesus and that they spend a higher level of time and investing in each other. And he shares not only his time with them, but he begins to confide in them in ways that he doesn't do with the crowds, with temporary or with weak ties. And Jesus grows this inner circle of friends by actually disclosing things about his life to them. His feelings, his inner world, Look at how Jesus describes the culmination of this process in John chapter 15, verses 13 to 15. Jesus says, there is no greater love than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends 
if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master does not confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends. There's, there's a level of confidant that transpires. Since I have told you everything the Father has told me, this is astounding to me. The Son of God himself is saying, I call you friends. And also, a chapter after that, he says, I need you as friends. If we're aligned in our relationship intentions. In John chapter 11, Jesus actually refers to Lazarus also as a dear friend of his. And even within the 12 disciples, the forging of this relationship we see in John chapter 16 and 17 goes deeper because Jesus calls them to him and says, I need you as my friends right now. My soul is overwhelmed when he goes into the garden of Gethsemane to the point of anguish. I am bearing my soul to you and I need you as my friends right now. He asks in his deepest time of need his three closest friends to be with him and to stand with him. You see, the challenge for us is that we often think that we can rush out and get friends when we need them just like we can rush out and get milk when we run out of it at home in the fridge. Oh, I'll just zip down to the store and pick some up. You can't get deep friends when you actually need them. You need to begin to work on the process before you need good friends and invest in that process before you arrive at the point of crisis. And the way you do that is not just by sharing your time, that's a basic entry-level requirement, but you actually begin to share your heart with them. You begin to share what's going on in your inner world in a different way than you do with other people. You begin to confide in them your fears, your concerns about your life, the things that you don't think are going very well. Because you can't have deep friends when you need them if you don't do the hard work in advance. And so let me ask you this. Does anyone in your life know how you are doing really? How you are really, really doing? Who do you confide in? Who's walking with you at a deeper level in your journey of discipleship? Now, some of you think to yourselves, well, I don't need people like that. Maybe other people need friends like that. That sounds like a very needy kind of person that would need friends in their experience. And this may come maybe from your own personal experience. Maybe you've been in a situation where you've developed a close friendship and relationship with somebody and maybe that person has hurt you. Maybe you've shared your life and your feelings with them and they've betrayed you in the past. And so you've become more guarded and more hesitant. You're less likely to share those parts of your inner world with them. Maybe people whom you were close with have moved away. And so you've thought to yourself, well, I'm not going to get close to people again because I'll spend all this time and energy in opening up my life to them and they're just going to move. I mean, we live in a highly transient culture. So I don't know if I want to go through that pain again. And you're partially right. There is deep risk to deep friendships because you are letting people into parts of your life and your world and your heart that are deeper 
than the parts that you're letting other people into. Sometimes you're letting them into that deepest part of who you are as a person. But unless you're willing to risk that and go there by confiding in others, you're going to begin to have an atrophy in your soul because nobody really knows how you're doing for real. It's a bit like air and breathing. We don't walk around going, ah, every breath, I'm so grateful for air. Ah, I'm so grateful for air. Ah, thank you, Jesus, for creating air. Ah, I'm so thankful for air. Thank you, Lord, for air. Ah, thank you, Jesus, for air. The only time you actually are really, really thankful for air is when you're underwater and you're gasping for it and you need it desperately and it ain't coming. Then you begin to say, I need air. All of a sudden, that which is everywhere is now scarce and you need it more than ever. So I would say to you, if you've been hurt, don't let the possibility of being hurt again keep you from sharing your time and your feelings and your life with others. It might be painful, but when you're underwater and you're going through deep stuff in your life, you'll never regret the time and investment that you've made and that others have made in you and that are willing to make in your life. Because spiritual friendship involves sharing. Sharing our time and sharing deeper parts of our life with each other. But spiritual friendships go deeper than that. Because friends can do that and not actually have a spiritual friendship in any way. You don't have to involve Jesus in any of sharing your time or sharing your feelings. Spiritual friendships actually in the scriptures, particularly in the book of Proverbs, are described for us in a different way because people of faith who care sincerely about each other do different things in their friendships than people who don't share that conviction do. In Proverbs 27, 17, it says it this way, just as iron sharpens iron, so one friend sharpens another. A friend involves, spiritual friendships involve sharpening the other person in your life. How does this happen? Well, spiritual friendships happen by sharpening each other's influences. When the Bible speaks about friendship, it's often talking about the influences that come into our lives. It's often talking about connectivity that leads to influence, positively or negatively. In the New Testament, you read over and over and over again the phrase, dear friends, dear friends, dear friends, do this, don't do this, dear friends, I want to warn you about this. And over and over again, multiple writers do this phrase. And when they're using this phrase, they're asking those whom they're in relationship with to consider the influence, consider what's coming into and going out of their lives. In 3 John, for example, the writer says it this way, Dear friends, don't let this bad example influence you. Follow only what is good. You see, the job of a spiritual friend in your life is to help monitor the influences in your life. To sharpen your life by questioning and exploring the things that you are doing, thinking and saying. For those who are married, this process happens a little bit more naturally for virtue of proximity. For those that are single, there's a level of intentionality that you have to really exercise and grow in inviting people into this part of your life. If you have kids and you're a parent, you understand this process of sharpening and guarding influences very naturally. There are certain things that you want to expose your children to, other things that you don't want your children to be exposed to. But somehow we do that with parenting, but we don't always translate that into our friendship world. There are certain things 
that if I care about a friend, I actually don't want them exposing themselves to. And it takes courage and a willingness to speak into their life and allow them to speak into my life in a way that creates health in that conversation. Friends don't let friends let certain things into their lives without questioning them. Friends sharpen and challenge each other to follow that which is good, to focus on that which is pure and of good report. For the guys of Jericho, one of the ways that this happens is in our four quarters groups. When you're in a four quarters group, you're there because you've actually chosen to let someone else speak into your life and hold you accountable for areas that you want to grow in in your life. And you see, here's my fear for us around this topic of friendship at Jericho. We live in a Western culture. We, a lot of us grew up here, and so we've drank deeply of the well of Western individualism, rugged individualism, in fact, that tells us that we actually don't need other people in our lives to help us. And then we import that into our Christian experience, and our Christian experience becomes just about what's happening between me and Jesus, and the rest of you are not to be concerned with that whatsoever, which is an, a concept that's foreign to the pages of the Scripture. Because friendships are designed to help sharpen and push into those places of who we are and what God wants for us. And if we have friendships, we need to be about the process of sharpening and shaping each other's influence. We're sharing things like our fears. You'll never know what it means to be a true friend unless you actually get into a place where you and that friendship are able to challenge that person and they're able to receive it Maybe not in the moment sometimes, graciously, but that there's a truth, you speak with grace and truth and love into their life and they receive it well. Because I actually don't know in my own life, I'm not good at identifying my blind spots. I know generally the things that I'm not great at and I want to grow in and improve at and work on, but until I let Meg into those places in my life, until I let... Uh, my accountability partner that I meet with every two weeks into my life, have access and permission to sharpen those influences, to ask me questions about my heart and what's going on in there. They need to have access and permission to sharpen my heart. No one's going to take that permission from you. You actually have to offer that and give that to someone. And when you do, you're asking them in the language of Proverbs 27 to actually sharpen you, to knock those rough edges off of your life. And they can challenge you and you challenge them. You've given them that authority. That's the stuff of spiritual friendship. When you're moving into that territory, you're moving into the language and the practice of spiritual friendship. A desire to help each other grow by asking, what are you letting into your life? What kinds of things are you dwelling on? In your mind. Friends allow each other to sharpen them by asking questions of influence and challenging each other's influences. So the last ingredient is not only friends challenge each other's inputs, but they also challenge each other's focus in life. Cicero wrote, uh, is a famous Roman orator, and in 44 BC wrote probably one of the most enduring classic treaties on friendships in the history of humanity. And in it, he says this, when you make a true friend, friendship, what makes a true friend is that friends share the same truth. 
Friends are not actually forged by looking at each other, but actually by focusing outward and something external to the friendship that has the ability to pull that friendship together in some way. Now we understand this in just casual acquaintances and in loose ties. If you know, we could be friends with somebody, you know, if we both like the same sports teams or if we both have the same hobbies because what's pulling us together is that which we have in common. But James chapter four in verses puts it in the negative in terms of spiritual friendships and again uses the language of influence and says, don't you realize that friendship with the world, focusing on that, makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you wanna be a friend of the world, you have to make yourself, you have made yourself an enemy of God. Friends challenge each other's focus and focal points in their lives. Because when the Bible speaks of friendship, it's talking about influence and the power of influence. We become like that which we focus on. And friendship in the world, friendship with the world, in this instance, James is saying, when we focus there, we're giving over ourselves to the thoughts, possessions, and systems and processes that are antithetical to God. And a friend that cares for our soul, like we talked about last week, would intersect us in that process and say, friend, I have concern for you. You're going off focus in these areas of your life. This is why spiritual friends ask each other things like, friend, you seem to be more focused on your career and on wealth acquisition than on other things at this juncture of your life. You seem to be focused on and allowing greed to take root in your heart instead of thinking and acting generously with your time and your resources. I don't, want that to, I don't want to see that grow in your life as a friend. And so let's help each other. What do you see growing in my life that you think should not be there? And let's challenge each other to walk to deeper levels of health and freedom. And see, this is the amazing distinctiveness of Christian friendship and spiritual friendship. Because friendship that's forged with Christ at the center of it shares the same truth in Cicero's language. Because friendship cannot be made out of nothing. Friendship has to have a focus of some kind. And sure, it can be soccer, it can be a shared love of the Canucks, having the same alma mater, but for Christians, we have an incredibly rich resource that we can focus on, an incredible possibility that links us beyond socioeconomics, it links us beyond age, It links us beyond life experience or race or background or anything else that maybe could be the stuff of lesser friendships. Because we're not kneeling at the altar of friendship and worshiping each other or worshiping friendship as an end in and of itself. We're kneeling before the same God who then pulls us, has the capacity to pull us together as friends. And when we commit ourselves to this kind of openness and this kind of vulnerability and authenticity in friendship, we actually not only go deeper into each other's lives, we go deeper into the heart of God and his expressed desire and intention for us. Because with God at the center of our lives and the center of our friendships, we actually have the possibility to build something and forge something of meaning and substance that can allow us to be changed forever. Let's pray together. God, we are grateful for the gift of friendship 
that you have given to us. You have created us to be in relationship with each other and with you. And so God, we pray that in our own lives that you would continue to shape us. You would continue to grow us as friends. You would continue to assist us in opening and taking risks of opening our heart to you and to other people around us in deeper ways. And God, I pray that as we do that here as a church community, that you would deepen us. Deepen not only our friendships and our relationships with each other, but with you, with our community. We pray that this would be known as a place of hospitality and friendship. This would be known as a place of people who experience deep and rich community together that is authentic and transforming us in every way. Father, we take a stand together collectively against individualism and against isolation against the lies and excuses that we have told ourselves and others about why we don't need others. And so, Father, we pray that you would shape in this place a community of friends that loves each other deeply, that sacrifices for each other, that is available to each other. And we pray that any barriers that exist, God, that you would continue to work in our hearts and lives of tearing those down and of opening our hearts, our schedules, our, our inner worlds to each other in ways that is honoring to you and in ways that allows us to grow into the people that you desire for us to be. And so God, we pray now in this time as we respond in worship, as we invite you to be the center of our friendships, as we invite you to be the center of our lives, we pray for anyone who is in this place today that does not know you as a friend, Father, we pray that if there's anyone who has not made that commitment to you to open their heart up to you as their primary friend, as their creator, we pray that that would transpire today in this place, God. We pray for those who have been wounded by friendships. We pray that this would be a day and a place of healing for them. And we pray, God, for those of us who are unsure uh, that you would take us deeper into those places where you want us to. If there's any barriers that we need to confess to you, God, we do that now in this place, before we leave, we want to acknowledge the places where we have fallen short in our friendships, the places where we have closed ourselves off. And God, we pray that you would indeed be the center of our friendships in this place. For the honor and glory of your name we pray. Amen.